a year ago, um, you know, we would be sitting in front of a screen uh, in our homes, worshiping together. A year ago, uh, I was looking through some pictures. Uh, we were experiencing our first English ministry retreat. And that just seems so long ago now. The last time that we had an in-person gathering happened 265 days ago. Uh, and that was the last time many of us in our church family were able to see each other, uh, to be in the building together, to take communion together as a church. That was the last time many of us heard each other's voices sing as we uh, lift up our voices in worship, as we prayed for each other. Last November, who would have thought that this Thanksgiving, many of us would be limited in our travels, limited in our gatherings, limited in our festivities. Uh, for some of us, this might be the first year without a traditional Thanksgiving turkey. For others, it might be the first Thanksgiving without parts of our uh, family being together. You know, last November, who would have thought that our entire lives would have been uprooted Schools radically change, work radically different, shopping, dining, leisure. You know, instead of Black Friday, as many of you are uh, used to uh, anticipating, uh, looking for Black Friday gifts, uh, this year, many of you are looking for toilet paper and Clorox wipes yet once again. Last November, who would have thought that we would have reached a quarter of a million deaths in our country due to this unknown virus? Some of you I know have friends, relatives, loved ones who have been impacted by COVID, who currently are being impacted by COVID. Others have had families, members pass away and, and the norm, normal markers of grief, of comfort, of, of closure have been denied to you. And this week, as our nation faces a surge in even more COVID cases, it's hard to look at Thanksgiving through the same old lens that we once did. You know, I, I don't know about you, but for me, when difficult time comes, one of the first things to go is an attitude of thankfulness. We might still be faithful to God. We might still be dutiful in our worship to God. We might persevere in our prayers and be diligent in our disciplines, but a genuine heart of thankfulness that, that's a rarity. And so the question I want to ask all of us today is how do you give thanks during challenging times? How do you give thanks when things are difficult? How do you give thanks when, when there's tragedy and then there's heartbreaks and dreams slip through your fingers? And I'm struck by the great people of faith, people like Job, a man who had everything taken away from him his servants, his cattle, his family, and even his health. But in the midst of it all, he's able to say these words. Naked I came from my mother's room and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's like, how does someone say, blessed be the name of the Lord when they lose everything. Or Habakkuk, this is one of the most beautiful passages in all of the, the prophets. Habakkuk, who was living on the precipice of Judah's imminent downfall, he was told by God himself that the wicked nation of Babylon was going to destroy God's chosen people. Habakkuk writes these words. 
Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And so this week, as we prepare ourselves for this national day of giving thanks, let's take a look at what scripture has to say about giving thanks, even when we are going through tough times, even when life is challenging. And let's set our hearts towards giving thanks to God. So uh, turn with me to Psalm 100. Let me just give you a little breakdown of this psalm before we read it together. Psalm 100, in fact, is entitled a psalm for giving thanks. It's the only psalm in the Psalter with that inscription. There's plenty of other psalms that, that talk about giving thanks. Psalm 107, the Pilgrim Psalm, many of you have heard that Governor William Bradford cites when, uh, when they begin the Plymouth Colony. It, it commands us to give thanks. There's so many psalms that command us to give thanks. But this is the only one with this inscription that this is a psalm for giving thanks. And although we do not know exactly who the author of this psalm was or what the occasion it would be sung or recited, it seems to be have been a written instruction, an invitation for those who are about to come into the presence of God much like what we are doing right here. And the psalmist breaks it up into four parts, and that's how we're going to look at it. The first is it is an instruction on how to give thanks. That's in verses one and two. And then it's an explanation. This is why we must give thanks. And then the psalmist says, why won't you give thanks with me? He invites us to give thanks. And then he ends with an exhortation of praise and thanksgiving. So let's read this together. And before we do, whatever you are doing right now, if you're watching in your home or if you're, you know, watching on your screen, I want you to stand up. Okay, so stand up and we're going to read this together. Unless you're driving. If you're driving, don't stand up. And if you're listening to this much later, don't stand up. Uh, you can listen along. But everyone else, stand up and read along with me. A Psalm for Giving Thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we enter into your presence with thanksgiving. And I know there are many of us who are filled with heavy hearts and a heavy burden. And we lift them to you. God, would you direct our hearts and our minds and our voices to you? as we take a look at this beautiful psalm that you have given to us. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. If you're still standing, good for you. You may now uh, sit down. <laughs> so I would imagine this was a psalm that was intended uh, for people 
as they would make their way to the temple to worship and to celebrate God, right? The opening lines of this psalm says, make a joyful noise. In fact, the NAS says, shout joyfully, to cry out, to raise a shout. I really like how the message, this is Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase. He says, on your feet now and applaud God. The psalmist is saying is, if you want to be thankful, right, let me show you how. Let me begin with three commands, three imperatives, and this is how we give thanks to God. He begins by saying, the first thing we do is shout, right? Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, and shout. All right. That's it. We have the peanut gallery here today, so they're giving us extra sound effects. He says, when we come into God's presence, like we're doing right now, there is something here to shout about, right? In one sense, we are always in the presence of God. We are always before him, no matter where we are at work, at home, during the nighttime, during the daytime, every day of the week, we are in the presence of God. But there is a special day that we set aside for God. One day a week, we say, God, we want to hear from you, especially we want to, to worship you. We want to fine-tune our attention and our devotion towards you. And the first response should be to bring a shout of joy. A cry should well up in the pits of our stomach and come through our lips and explode out of our mouths. A shout of joy. And God is saying, I want to hear you. I want to hear your shouts. I wonder how many of us, though, when we think of worship, we think of worship as sedate. We think of coming to church, or maybe it's in our cases, we think of uh, turning on our devices or, or turning on the TV, going to our church website. It, it's a passive activity. We think of it as something we consume, something we observe. You know, and I'm not really judging any of us because we're living in some pretty crazy times right now. But I'm wondering how many of us just rolled out of bed just like a couple minutes ago. Right? Maybe we're still in our pajamas. Maybe there's still a little bit of um, drool, right? Like the caked up drool that's coming off the side of our mouths. And maybe for some of us, you know, we, we just tune in. We skip the singing portion because we think, well, you know, that's just kind of fluff. We don't want the singing. We, we want to hear the message, right? But what we're doing when we do that is we become passive consumers of God. But worship in the Bible is never passive. It's never sedate. It, it, it's exciting, and, and, and there's, there's this expectancy of what God is going to do because the King of kings and the Lord of lords is in the house. Years ago, I had the opportunity to watch the Warriors play in person, and boy, uh, that was so exciting. It wasn't the fact that I was going to watch the Warriors. It was the fact that uh, they were going to play the Kings, right? And and I was really excited about the Kings. And, and here, here's the truth about uh, in-person sporting events. If you guys have never been and, and it's been so long, you forget. Like For me, I got ready. I was reading about who was injured, who was playing, who's starting, who's matching. I'm reading everybody's commentaries and, and all, all these analysts, their thoughts. They're saying, you know, this person matches it well with this person. I get my jersey out and I'm ready, right? It's exciting. And when you get to the arena, you don't care that you just paid 40 bucks to park like a mile away because there's hundreds and thousands of people walking with you in the same direction. And people are wearing their jerseys of their favorite uh, players. They're excited. They're loud. They're cheering. 
Why? Because they're going to see the kings beat the warriors, right? And some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you, you have screamed until you're hoarse at an event because you are in the presence of something great. And the psalmist reminds us, you are in the presence of God Almighty. You are worshiping the creator of the universe. Can you give him a shout out? And then he goes on and he says, not only do we praise God by shouting with joy, we praise God, we give God thanks by serving him with gladness. We serve God with gladness. It's actually very interesting, this word uh, in Hebrew, avad. Uh, it, it actually means worship, and it means work, and it means service. It's, it's all the same word. The idea of service comes when one submits oneself to another as a subject to a king. And when we Christians, when we talk about a worship service, it, it's a little bit redundant, but it's the idea that we are submitting ourselves to God, our king, and our worship is a service right? Our work is a service. It's this idea that our service is before our king. Whatever we do is an act of worship. And Paul reminds us, in fact, Paul reminds us in in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, "I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And some of us may be thinking, well, I want to be thankful and I want to serve God, but how do I do this? It's, you know, I'm not on the worship team like Jason and Tim. I'm not on the AV team. And, you know, honestly, we don't even get together. So I can't make coffee. I can't set up chairs. How do we serve gladly? So I just want to remind you the words of Jesus when he's when he's talking in Matthew chapter 25. He's talking about his return and he's talking to his disciples and he says to them, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous, they're going to answer him by saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And Jesus responds, or they go on, and when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And what Jesus here is saying is we serve God gladly when we serve others. We serve God gladly when we're able to serve others. And I'm, you know, I'm just so proud of so many of you uh, in our church. Many of you are reaching out to your neighbors during this time to check in on them. Many of you are sharing resources with others. Many of you are going out of your way and and buying groceries or or whenever you go buy things, you're, you're asking those who are in higher risk categories, how can we help you? Many of you have reached out to communities that are serving the homeless and the hungry. And and you may not feel like you're doing as much as you possibly can because of all of these restrictions, but I believe God sees it all. And I believe that God sees how you're doing with with this. And and he's seeing that you're doing it with gladness. And I believe that God wants you to know that he is receiving your thanksgiving. Right? Everything we do 
when we're serving God, when we're serving others, all of this avad, right, we can do gladly. And Paul also reminds us in his letter to the church in Corinth, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And it's this similar idea that everything we do is a worship, is a service, is for the glory of God. And lastly here, he says, you can give thanks to God by bringing him a shout of joy. You could give thanks to God by serving him through serving others. And this third command is you can give thanks to God by coming to him with singing, right? Coming to him with singing. Now across all cultures, there is something significant about singing. A song combines the heart and the mind and the will and it, it brings it out from inside of your body and it expresses it out loud to God. There's something joyous and uplifting that unites people together when we sing a common song, whether, whether it's a college fight song, right? Or, or it's a Christmas carol, or you're at a concert of a favorite band. Singing out loud expresses what is on the heart and it expresses it with our whole body. And when we come together, when we set apart time to praise God, to worship God, to give God our thanks, the question is, how is your singing? Some of us may say, well, you know, Pastor Dean, I, I don't like to sing. I'm not a good singer. Right? And I've heard some of you, and I would say you're right. And God knows that too, but he's not listening to your notes. He's not listening to your vocal range. He's not listening to, to how your voice sounds, the quality of your voice. He's listening to your heart. And he's wondering, are you bringing me a gift of song? Did you know that the Bible references singing over 400 times with over 50 direct commandments to sing to God, to sing loudly, to sing to one another, to bring songs with, with stringed instruments and songs with drums to God. And if you want to develop a heart of thanksgiving, practice your singing of praise to God. Sing with great joy. Well, the psalmist continues, and he tells us in verse 3, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And here, now, the psalmist says, this is the reason we give thanks. This is the reason that we shout for joy. This is the reason that we serve with gladness. This is the reason that songs rise up in our throats. It's because God, Yahweh, is Elohim. Now, it's kind of interesting because in, in our English-speaking mind, we're like, oh, that, that's a little redundant. But, you know, why, why are you telling us that God, Yahweh, is Elohim? Right. And so let me just clue you in. Also, in the new year, we're going to be going through, a, going through a series on the on the various names of God so that we can know God better. We can worship him better by understanding his name. But today, let me just give you a quick primer. God has many names. And the first name that the psalmist uses here is this Hebrew word Elohim. It is oftentimes used to refer to God as the creator, God as the powerful one, God as a strong one, right? It is the God who created heavens and earth. Everything that you see around us, 
the, the entire universe, the turkey that you might eat this week, that is from God Elohim. It, it connotes power and it connotes strength. But when the Bible wants to express a personal God that relates to his creation, the Bible gives us a different name. And that name is Yahweh. In fact, there, there's a long history behind why we say the word Yahweh. But the word Yahweh, sometimes you hear people say Jehovah. Uh, it, it, it is the word that the Bible uses to express a personal, relational God. And oftentimes in your Bibles, you'll see this word translated into English with a capital L, a capital O, a capital R, and a capital D. And you, re- you might remember when Moses is at the burning bush and God says, go and free my people. And Moses says, oh, what's your name, God? And God says, you tell them I am who I am. And, or literally, he is who he is. And, and that's what Yahweh means. And here the psalmist, he combines these two names, the powerful Elohim, the creator Elohim of the entire universe. Elohim is your personal God that condescends, that comes down, that gets on his belly and plays with his creation. The powerful Elohim is your personal Yahweh. And the psalmist reminds us here, the reason we give thanks is because God is not only our creator, but he is our redeemer. He is the personal relational God that comes into the world and rescues us from our own sins. He comes down to our own level. That Yahweh, he he saves us from our sins and he takes the penalty on our behalf. The powerful, the mighty, the great God, the one who knit you in your mother's womb. He is the God who knows your innermost thoughts and he knows what is going on in your life and your heart. He knows your disappointments, your heartaches, your fears, and he loves you. That God loves you personally, you specifically, and it is he who made you, you know, and you know what else? You belong to him. You are his people. And the psalmist uses this beautiful imagery. Maybe it's a little foreign to us. It's like the sheep of his pasture. He knows every single one of you. Do you know this God? Do you, do you really know this God? And it's this beautiful imagery that the psalmist says of how God cares for it. He, he, he feeds us. He leads us to the green pastures beside still waters. And that's the idea. He looks at you and he he sees his possession and he knows every single one of you. And he knows your hurts and your pains and your joys and your laughter. And he loves you so much. So Jesus tells us later on in the new Testament, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus tells us this is what God does for his people. He comes into their world, into the brokenness, into the muck, into the filth, into the sin. And he lays down his life as a sacrificial lamb for the sheep of his pastures. And there are times we wonder, where are those still waters, God? Because I could really use a little break. Where are those green pastures, God? Because right now, uh, the world seems pretty dry and barren. 
And the psalmist reminds us, remember who your God is. Remember what he has done for you. Remember how he has created you and how he has led you and how he has taken care of you. Remember how he has saved your life and how he has forgiven you. And he's given you eternal life, a new life. And now this isn't to say that we, we pretend that everything is okay because you know what? Honestly, everything isn't okay. And God knows it. God knows that some of you are feeling isolated. And God knows some of you are feeling fatigued and tired. And God knows some of you are feeling scared and God knows some of you are angry and upset. And God knows some of you are, are just about ready to burst. And God knows some of you miss your family and your friends. God knows how much I miss dim sum. But the psalmist reminds us of what is most important, that God has given us life, that God has given us eternal life, that God has brought us into a relationship with him. And no matter what we can do, nothing can separate us from the love of Elohim Yahweh. We are his. So know that the Elohim, he is your Yahweh. Paul writes these words while sitting in a prison to the church in Philippi. Uh, Steph Curry has once again popularized it. He writes, not that I am, uh, I learned how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need, and I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In fact, the entire book of Philippians, it's just a book of thanksgiving. And how can Paul write these wonderful, beautiful words and, and exude thankfulness and thanksgiving when he's sitting in a cold prison? Because Paul knew who gives him strength. Paul knew who he belonged to. Paul knew that he was loved by his creator, redeemed by his savior, and was serving with gladness. So whatever may come, remember that you are God's and he will never leave you or forsake you. So give thanks because God is our creator and our redeemer, Lord. And finally, this third stanza, the psalmist says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. And the psalmist once again invites us to give thanks with three strong imperatives, three commands to enter his courts with thanksgiving, to give thanks to God, and to bless his holy name. You know, honestly, uh, let me get that slide up. I, I miss, I miss seeing uh, all of your faces, right? I, I miss being uh, in person with you. And, and the psalmist is reminding us. Whenever we're gathered together, whether it's in person or on a screen, right? Give thanks to God. Invite others to praise God. Enter and thank and bless. I, I miss hearing your voices. I miss singing praises to God with you. I miss listening to the stories of God's faithfulness and God's goodness in your life. And I know that many of you do as well. But, you know, this will make it all the more sweet when one day we are allowed to gather safely and corporately. One day we will enjoy the corporate Thanksgiving together. But I am thankful right now that we have the ability to worship even as we do right here. I am thankful that we are able to sing corporately even though we are in, in, in uh, separate places. 
I'm thankful that we are able to communally learn together from God's word. But until that time comes again, when we can give thanks together, let's allow the psalmist's words to encourage us. Let's practice individually or as a family in our homes, wherever you're right now. Let's flex those thanksgiving muscles, those praising muscles, those worshipful muscles, those blessing muscles, giving a shout out to God with gladness, remembering that God is our creator and is our redeemer and just praising him. So when we do get back together, we can shout for joy with thanksgiving. We can be a people of thanksgiving. And finally, the psalmist closes with one final exhortation, one that is so applicable in our day. He writes, for the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Finally, the, the, the last thing that the psalmist exhorts us to do is remember the goodness and the loving kindness. Some of you are familiar with the Hebrew word, this hesed, and the faithfulness of God. Remember how God has been good to you, how God has been faithfully loving to you, how God is faithful to you, not just in your life, but in all the generations, starting from uh, the early church in Jerusalem, all the way down to you. Do you realize there's a connection? God has been faithful to every single generation. And it's easy when times are tough, when dreams don't come to fruition, when plans fall through, when loved ones suffer, to forget that there's a God who created me. There's a God who knows me. There's a God who knows my innermost parts. There's a God who has sent his son to earth to die for my sins, to give me hope, to give me life eternal. And it's hard sometimes to remember that God has been good. And the, and the challenge for us really is, how has God been good in your life? Write it down. Share it with someone. Remind yourself, this is who God is. Right? Throughout scripture, we are called to remember God's work in our lives. How has God been good in your life? Because God's character has not changed. If he was good to you in the past, he will continue to be good to you today. How has God been loving to you? How has God comforted you? How has God encouraged you and lifted you up? How has God provided for you? Because if God has done that in the past, don't you think he'll continue to do that? How has God been faithful, not just to you, but through all generations? And this week, this week, we'll be reminded of, of the pilgrim's journey, escaping religious persecution in Europe and coming to North America. You know, for me growing up, we, we never really... Um, did the, the Western or the American Thanksgiving tradition. And until I got married, my, my mother-in-law has this wonderful tradition of, of putting a little a kernel of corn on, on everybody's plate and then telling the story of Thanksgiving. And, and it's just a reminder, right, that God has been faithful, not just in this generation, but in the generation before and the generation before and generation before, that God has taking care of you, and he will continue to take care of you even as times get tougher.
So let me encourage you. What about your own story? I, I don't think many of us could trace our lineage back to the Mayflower, but how has God been faithful in bringing your family to where you are today? Of rescuing you, of providing for you, bringing salvation to your family. Even in the face of uncertainty, friends, even in the face of unknowns, there is a creator God that knows you, a creator God that loves you, a creator God that sent his son to die for you, to give you new life. He is good and he is loving, he is faithful. And for those reasons, we can give thanks in any and every situation. Will you pray with me? Father God, we once again are just reminded of how great, grateful we should be, we can be. We're reminded to take stock of your goodness in our lives. We're reminded to examine your character in our past and how I'll carry forward. God, this week, would you continue just supernaturally through the work of your Holy Spirit to bring to mind all those, all those things that you have done for us, of how you have cared for us, of how you have bound our, our broken hearts of how you have provided just in time of how you have shepherded us as your sheep. And as these things come to mind, Lord, would you allow a shout of praise, a song to escape our lips of thanksgiving to you, God. Might we be a people who are thankful no matter what. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.